Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here this morning. For the last several weeks, we have been uh, working our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, it is the longest teaching that we have recorded of Jesus in, his, uh, in the Gospels, in his life here on earth. And all through the chapters 5, 6, and 7 of the Gospel of Matthew, the central theme of this message is exactly how Jesus starts the teaching. He starts with this, the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit and the meek, and he just goes through this blessed, blessed, blessed listing there of ideas that Darren's done a great job over the last four weeks of introducing us to that word blessed, makarios, and how that particular theme runs all the way through Jesus' discourse here, and how it impacts all aspects of our life and our relationship with God. And so this morning, we're going to dig into, in chapter 6, where Jesus talks about prayer and how we live as a prayerful people and how that ushers us into a blessed life, a successful life, a happy and fulfilling life. Uh, If you read the Gospels, it quickly emerges in the text there that there was something different about Jesus' prayer life. The Gospels tell us that Jesus would get up early in the morning. Not every morning, it doesn't say that, but early in the morning he'd often get up, find a quiet place to be by himself, and would spend time praying to God. It tells us that before Jesus made big decisions, he would spend extensive time in prayer before he chose his 12 disciples, the ones who would be his closest followers, the ones who would help launch the church after his death. Jesus spent the entire night in prayer on a mountainside. And then, as you get near the end of Jesus' life, you find Jesus celebrating the night before he was crucified in the upper room, celebrating the Passover with the disciples. And when it was over, the Gospels record the idea that Jesus went out to the Mount of Olives to pray. And then they tag on four words that are just subtle and beautiful. It says, he went out to the garden to pray, as was his custom. And it's almost like in our language, the Gospel writers are saying, of course he did. I mean, that's just the kind of life that Jesus lived in constant communication with his Father. There was something special, something different, something unique about the way that Jesus prayed. There was a depth and a quality and an ease to his conversations with God that at one point had the disciples urgently pleading with him, Lord, teach us to pray the way that you pray. And these were religious men. And so Jesus engages in this conversation about prayer in that context in the Sermon on the Mount, and it begins this way. He says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everybody can see them. I'll tell you the truth, that's all the reward they're ever going to get. But when you pray, go off by yourself, close the door behind you, And pray to your Father in private. And then your Father who sees everything will reward you. And by the way, when you pray, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles, those non-Christians do. They think their prayers are being answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, Jesus says. Because your Father, He knows exactly what you need even before you ask. So I said to Michael in first service, it's like my dad's family's all from the hills of Appalachia, deep in the mountains in eastern Kentucky, and uh, it's a place you don't want to go. But 
their church music is a lot like that, and I'm sure that's what they have this morning. Just you're missing the the washboard was about it. So uh, it's good to see you all this morning. Um, we're going to talk about prayer this morning. And just out of curiosity, when I started thinking about what I would say about that this morning, I went uh, to the greatest theological source I know. I went to the dictionary, and I looked up the word prayer. And it was kind of interesting what I found there. Um, the main definition isn't that surprising to me and probably isn't to you. It's the most familiar meaning to the word prayer that we have. The dictionary says prayer is a devout petition to God. Makes sense, right? I mean, we're used to asking God for help in our lives. For many of us, that's exactly what our prayers look like. We come to God with a list of requests for healing for us and for friends, for his provision in our life, for his message of truth to touch the hearts of our friends and family who don't know Christ yet. We pray for all kinds of things. We'll soon be praying for enough uh, money in the bank to cover our heating and electric bills over the course of the winter, right? Some people I know are praying every day that they'll have enough gas in their car, enough money in their wallet to fill their tank just so they can get back and forth to work. Um, I remember praying we'd have enough money in the bank account to pay for our kids' braces. Um, If you've ever felt that pain, I'm happy to say our kids are in their 30s and we've finally made the last payment. Um, Some ugly teeth. Um, There is nothing wrong with this kind of prayer. I mean, 1 Peter 5, 7 says to us, bring your cares to God. Why? Because he cares for you. Take it all to him. However, if our prayer life is nothing more than just handing God a list of requests then we're missing some of the depth and some of the meaning that prayer brings to life. The second definition, I think it's a little closer to the truer meaning of prayer. And I loved it. I was honestly surprised to find this in the dictionary when it said, prayer is a spiritual communion with God. Isn't that beautiful? It's the place we go to share our most intimate thoughts and feelings with God. I think that's what the disciples saw in and loved about Jesus' prayer life, was something that they hungered, the depth of communication Jesus had with God. They hungered for it, and it was what Jesus was working to teach them. And so Jesus uses a simple prayer. We've come to know this prayer that he used to teach them how to pray as the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. It's maybe the most widely known passage of Scripture in all of the Bible. I mean, there are a lot of us who memorized it as kids. I know I did, um, and, and I'm normal, so that means you did too. Um, but it's, a, it's memorized, and even if you're not especially religious, uh, you probably know because it's used in meaningful contexts, it's used a lot. So you may know parts of it as well. So what I'd like to do this morning is just to read this prayer together aloud, right? Uh, now, I'm going to do that with a caveat. Like, if you've ever done this in a crowd of people, there are a couple of phrases we get to, and it sounds like the whole room is mumbling because we're all saying something different. You know, is it sins or debts or what is it? I mean, so here's the deal. Let's read the one that's on the screen, even if it's different from the one you know, and let's just pray it together. Can we do that? All right. What did they put on the screen? All right, so I'm going to ask you, if you will, just to stand. It's one of those old practices of showing respect for God and his word. So let's read this together with vigor, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread 
And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You did well. Thanks. Have a seat. Some of you wanted to go on, right? It feels weird in that prayer there. So we'll come back to that in just a minute. We'll talk about that. Uh, It's a very simple prayer that Jesus uses to teach us some important lessons about the role that prayer prayer plays in this makarios, this blessed, this successful life. And the first thing that Jesus teaches us in this, I think, is prayer helps us keep God first in our life. Look at those first lines again. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are holy, God. You are at the center of all things. And that's where I want you to be. I want you to be at the center of everything I do and say. That's what Jesus was saying there. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Stopping at the beginning of our prayers. Pausing long enough to get our thoughts together to pray to God in this way has a way of reordering our lives. It sets the context for all of faith and life. These words of Jesus are not just a tip of the hat or a nod to God at the start of the prayer before we get on to the meat of what we want to bring to Him. The start of this prayer helps us remember that we've made a commitment to live with God's will, God's commands, and His desires at the center of our life. And so our prayer really is something like this. God, by Your name and by Your character, And in your perfect ways, please repair this world. Take all the broken things and fix them. Take every out-of-joint thing and put it in its right place. Take the ugly things in this world and make them beautiful. Take the tragic tales that are in this world and weave into them your redemption story as you manifest your kingdom and your glory in our lives today. That's at the heart of setting this prayer off in the right tone. It is honoring God, refocusing ourselves that He is the one who answers our prayers. When sometimes our prayers can get off and we start to focus more on the person we're praying for than we do the one who can answer the prayer. You know, I've been guilty of that, and I'm sure you've heard prayers like that. Maybe some I've said where I've kind of lost sight of the focus that God should be in our prayers. You may have a friend who's struggling and and, Pray something like this. It completely shifts the focus from God to the person we're praying for. Now imagine you've got a friend who's been out of work for six months, a year, and you're really concerned and they got an interview coming. So you offer to pray for them. God, give my friend a good interview tomorrow because he's been out of a job for six months. He's really struggling to support his family. His kids are sick and he needs his insurance reinstated. And so uh, God... This is all putting a strain on his marriage, so help him to have a great interview and get this job. Now, that's not a bad prayer, but it really puts the person we're praying for at the center at the start of our prayer, right? It takes the focus off of God. And it can often feel like in those instances, if you've ever listened to somebody pray that way, it's like they think God's not aware of what's been going on in our friend's life. So we have to fill him in on the details he's missing because if he knew everything, he'd obviously have helped him by now. I mean, it's been six months. What it can do, too, when we pray that way and we put the focus on the person is it can take that friend who's been out of work and fill him with shame and guilt like he should have been doing more, he should have been doing better. 
than he has been. If you take the same situation, a focus on God completely revolutionizes the prayer. God, I want to thank you for the way that you've been in my friend's life all along the way, and especially over these last six months that have been really tough for him. God, I pray that you'd fill him with your wisdom, with your discernment as he interviews tomorrow so that you would show him the opportunities and the blessings that are a part of this job. And you'd also, if it's there, reveal to him the dangers that are in this opportunity. God, help him to hear your leading, your voice, and to trust you. Protect him and help him to continue to trust you at all times and in all ways. And in this situation, God, help him to trust you. It's different, isn't it? It's, it takes the focus off of his life and on to God. It helps us, when we pray that way, it helps them and us live at peace in circumstances where chaos seems to be erupting all around us. It helps us know that there is a God who is still in control. And Jesus goes on then in the second part of this little prayer, and I think what he mostly teaches there is that prayer is the best place. It's the safest place. It's the perfect place to be absolutely transparent about our life. To give voice to our weaknesses and fears and failings. Here's how Jesus framed it in this prayer. He said, first, give us today our daily bread. Not tomorrow. I'm not praying about a month from now, God. Just for today. Now, that's an odd prayer to some of us. I mean, most of us here probably have enough food in the refrigerator or in the pantry or enough money to go to a restaurant and get whatever food we need for today, right? So it's, it's a little bit of an odd prayer for us. Some of us have so much food that we actually have a second refrigerator in the garage and a freezer to hold meat for the future, right? And that's kind of where we are. So it's really tough for us to think about having to pray to God for today's food, for today's provision. We're just not in that place. But still praying this prayer helps us identify with people for whom that's not true. In Jesus' day, the majority of the people all over Israel were struggling. Roman Empire was oppressive. They were in extreme poverty. Homelessness was at an all-time high in the nation. It was just too common in Jesus' day. It was easy to pray then. For the majority of our world, depending on what survey or statistic you read, it's more than two-thirds of our world woke up this morning wondering, will I have enough food for my family today, or will I have any food for my family? It's a very real prayer. For us to pray daily about God's provision in our life, helps us identify and understand under-resourced people. It opens our eyes to way, in ways that we could help and contribute to people who are under-resourced. It may even open our eyes to friends and neighbors who are living that right next door to us, and we had no idea. God, forgive us our debts. Now, the better translation of that simple phrase would be sins. Debts meant that to the people in Jesus' day. That's how they understood his prayer for us. It's just a clarity thing to say, you know, look, I'm not praying about my maxed out credit line, God. You know, I'm asking you, God, to forgive me for how I've wronged you, how I've wronged 
my family, how I've wronged my friends, how selfish I've been in my actions, in my words, and in my thoughts. So a better reading, a more pertinent reading for us in this day would be, God, forgive our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. I don't know about you, but that phrase always stings a little bit when I read it. You know, if I wrong somebody, I want forgiveness quickly. If they wrong me, I like to drag it out a little bit before they get forgiveness. I want them to suffer. I want to know how much they've made me suffer and I want them to suffer. I don't say that, but it's kind of what's there. You know that feeling too, I'm sure. And it's fascinating to me that that Jesus says here and implies here, and he goes on to teach a couple of verses later, God's forgiveness to us will mirror exactly the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that we show to other people. It stings a little bit. It's a tough truth. It's a tough prayer. He goes on to say, lead us not into temptation. That is an admission and a confession. God, you and I both know my weaknesses. You know what tempts me. I know what tempts me. And I don't trust myself to avoid temptation. So please don't let me go anywhere near temptation. And deliver me from the evil one. I mean, if I don't trust myself, I certainly don't trust the devil who's scheming for my downfall. So God, protect me from myself and from him. God, help me. It's... I think it's tough for us when you think about what Jesus says just in those couple of phrases about forgiveness for us and others and about temptation. It's tough for us to make us through a single day without encountering a struggle with one of those. With failure or resentment or temptation. And so Jesus invites us, just talk to God about them. Share with him your struggles. Share with him your innermost thoughts and feelings about these things. And be honest. Now, let's come back to the awkward part of this prayer. How many of you thought this prayer had like another line missing from it that I left off the screen? Yeah, it was, it was not a typo. Uh, it just feels awkward to end there because we're used to a doxology that's been added to Jesus' prayer. If you know it, say it with me. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Yeah, it's a beautiful phrase. But biblical and archaeological studies have shown that the best and the oldest manuscripts of Matthew's gospel don't include that phrase. In fact, Luke's gospel, where he has the same teaching, doesn't include that last phrase. So what happened, as best we can tell, is the early church had this this wonderful practice of taking prayers that are written in the scripture and using them in corporate and private prayer. And they would add, if it needed one in their eyes, they'd add a doxology to the end of it, like we just shared with each other. And so, while this is in line with what Jesus prayed, while it's consistent with what Jesus taught, that doxology really wasn't a part of Jesus' teaching to the disciples that day. And truthfully, I kind of like that it ends with Jesus going, so God, don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us for the, from the evil one. And then Jesus just drops into a conversation with the 12. And he goes, by the way, if you forgive other people, God will forgive you. And if you don't forgive them, God's not going to forgive you. 
He just easily goes between this conversation with God and conversation with the people around him. It didn't have a formal ending. It just flowed from his life with God to his life with others in one seamless conversation. When we read the Gospels and we look closely at the life of Jesus, that fits. Prayer wasn't an event for him. It wasn't a ritual. It wasn't a discipline. Prayer was an ongoing conversation with God. You know, for me, I, I do my best to each day start with just a few moments of prayer. You know, now it's not like I spend hours in prayer every morning. Some mornings, it may be five or ten minutes where I just talk with God about my day and what's coming up and how I want to see Him. I want to visibly see His hand guiding my day or stopping me from this to go to... I want to see His interaction in my life. Some days it's, it's five or ten minutes. Some days it's a minute or two. Some days it's literally like there was one morning this week where it was, it was in my truck driving to the hospital to meet with somebody before they had surgery. So I had four or five minutes where I just talked with God. And I'm okay with however that plays out in a day. If I have an extended period of quiet time, that's fantastic. If I can just engage God as I'm driving, I'm okay with that too because it's not like it's an obligation I'm filling. It's not like it's a spiritual to-do item that I have to check off my list. And it's also not the only conversation I want to have with God in the course of the day. But starting my day in that way tends to make me more attentive to God's presence all day long. It makes me more prayerful all day long. It helps me talk with God no matter what's going on. I mean, I, had, I got a phone call as I was walking out of my office. My office is up right on the mezzanine. That's why I'm looking up there. But it's just walking down this hallway then. I just breathed a prayer for the, the person that I got in the call about who was sick. It's just those kinds of conversations in the ordinary stuff of life. Now, please don't misunderstand. I think there's great value in having set times and set places and longer seasons of prayer. But to simply pray to God this way throughout our day, carry on a conversation with Him, brings a discipline and a consistency to our prayer life. And for me, one of the best things I like about prayer as as this practice is it's portable, right? Right? I mean, I can, I can pray while I'm driving in the car. I just don't close my eyes. Um, my driving's bad enough as it is. I, I can, if I'm taking the train to downtown Chicago, I can pop in my earbuds and put on some soft music, and I can pray. I pray for people who are on the train and situations that I see and, and what I can discern from them. I can do prayer wherever I am. I prayed with a couple of people in the hospital this week, and hospital staff walked in. They just stopped and prayed with us. It was fun. It was really encouraging to see that. It helps us give this sense to life that God is with us in everything we do. I mean, you can pray while you're brushing your teeth. I don't know about your toothbrush, but mine's electric. It's got a two-minute timer on it. So I could just spend two minutes in prayer every morning, brushing my teeth. Pray while you're unloading the dishwasher. Thank God for the good memories and the, the fun meals and the things that have happened in your home. Carry on this ongoing dialogue with God through the day. And here's the one thing I have found to be true by doing that is that prayer makes me prayerful. It actually encourages this, this spirit all through the day if we just begin to pray. Now, honestly, I think everybody I talk to feels like, no matter where they are in their journey, that they're novices in prayer. 
You, know, you can get that sense easily if you start reading Christian literature and you hear quotes like from Martin Luther who said, I have so much to do today, I can't possibly begin unless I spend three hours in prayer. Uh, I promise you I did not spend three hours in prayer before I got up here to teach this morning, and maybe it shows. Um, but we're just not there. We're beginners and novices, and we want to learn. So let me make this painfully simple. The key, the secret to a prayer life that is rich, that is fulfilling, is by and large just about showing it's starting in with those first conversations with God, allowing them to just be awkward, learning a rhythm to your conversation with God. I think we want and we hope and we tend to think that prayer should just be this natural, effortless thing that we do. And that doesn't mean, though, that it should lack discipline or intentional habits or structure. Those things, disciplines, habits, and structure allow prayer to flow naturally from us as we learn how to pray. Let me just give you a really good example of that. There's a great model of it right now. I'm going to do this awkward thing where I talk about them while they're trying to quietly put instruments on and get ready. Um, We have incredible musicians and vocalists. You know, there's 50 or 60 of them who participate over a six-week run in leading us in worship and singing Uh, incredible music to us on Sunday morning. Um, And it looks like when they get on the stage, except when Michael screws the words up, it looks like it's just easy and natural, right? Where did he go? Did he run off the stage? So, yeah, so it just looks easy and natural. Like, honestly, I I think sometimes they could just walk in on a Sunday morning about 8.55 and play this incredible music and lead us. But here's the thing. Every single one of these musicians up here on the stage has been rehearsing and practicing. There's been discipline and structure in their life all week long. For six weeks, actually, they work on this music for a single Sunday morning. That discipline and structure, those habits allow them to get on stage and it to appear easy and natural. It's kind of funny. Um, Michael's office is right next to mine up there. And so he'll split time through the course of the week between rehearsing and practicing in his office and rehearsing and practicing down here. Um, And there are a couple of songs that I know when they're on the list, we're going to do them on Sunday morning. Michael is going to spend hours pounding out the same four measures over and over and over again. Right? Like the one that came to mind uh, was... The City Harmonic song Manifesto. Michael told me before first service, he said, yeah, I refer to that as my right-hand workout for those three, th- four, three or four measures. But he's just pounding it out hours through the week. Why? So when he gets to Sunday morning, we worship. It's effortless. It's natural. It is difficult work that he's put in that makes it that way. Honestly, it's the same with our prayer life. A prayerful life is benefited by some discipline, some structure, some consistent habits of prayer. But it isn't complicated. A prayerful life isn't reserved for the spiritually elite in this world who somehow been specially gifted by God. 
Instead, a prayerful life is reserved for people who know they are in need of God's grace. A prayerful life is for people who know they're poor in spirit, who know they are mourners, they are mercy needing, and they're mercy giving. A prayerful life is for sinners and sinned against. It's for beginners and non-experts. It's for the desperate who recognize that this world is not as it should be and that only God, only God can set it right. A prayerful life is for all the broken people in this world who simply show up and pour their heart out to God again and again and again. And to those people, Jesus promises you'll be blessed with a Macario's life.